0: subscribe to the truth podcast today on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts hey welcome to politics by faith mike slater thanks for being here thanks for taking the time uh the, the purpose of this podcast is if you're like me and you get too anxious or in this case disappointed maybe angry in any whatever way worked up about different stories in the news We come here we talk about it describe it lament it and then give some historical perspective and biblical peace to make that anxiety go away that's the goal here anyway very grateful for all the emails you've sent emails of encouragement Uh, it always means a lot to me and especially has this week i feel like it's been forever since we've been together and and it's it's just been a long week Uh, I apologize. My baby has been in the NICU. He's still there, and I'll explain what's going on in a minute, but the last week or so has been a blur. Also, I was going to make this episode about Trump's big announcement, but I figure we should just wait until after the president makes his announcement, whatever the announcement is. So the next episode will probably be about Trump. Versus DeSantis in 2024, which I'm very excited to talk about. So that'll probably be next time. But first, the story of the day. I have a really bad attitude after losing so pathetically last Tuesday. And all this, I, I hear people spin it into a positive this. Oh, we won the house and that's all you need is to... I, I get it. I get it. But nothing like what it should have been. And I I feel... Hopeless that will never win again. 2016 was such a fluke that Trump won. It really was. And if it's this bad and we lose, how can some states and the country ever vote Republican again? I think it was a, I fear, it was a a once-in-a-lifetime celebrity candidate like Donald Trump who could pull it off. Before 2016, everyone loved Donald Trump. He was the host of the number one show on TV for 14 seasons. The Apprentice was on for 14 seasons. And then as soon as he left, they had Arnold Schwarzenegger be the new host. Did you know that? It was was the new season of The Apprentice with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And the show tanked. And they also had a spinoff of The Apprentice, Martha Stewart. No one watched that. It was because of Donald Trump. Trump was an iconic person. And I fear that only that massive of a pop culture figure could ever win the presidency again as a Republican. And there are no more of those. And here's what I mean by this. If inflation can be 10% and we still lose, if gas prices can be $4, it's $7 here in California, and we still lose? We lose to a party that wants gas prices to be even higher? It's been a common belief that foreign policy doesn't matter much in elections, which is sad in and of itself. But when our commander in chief can botch the withdrawal from Afghanistan this badly and we still lose. If this party can inflict so much harm on our nation with lockdown and harm on our kids by keeping them out of school for over two years and we still lose. Three million illegal immigrants that we know of come into America illegally and we still lose. They can nominate someone with severe brain damage in Pennsylvania and we still lose. The Babylon Bee said, I don't know what's worse. The party who nominates someone with severe brain damage or the party who loses to somebody with severe brain damage. A friend of mine, his family, born and raised in Oregon. They've always said they'd never leave Oregon. It's home. And now they're thinking about moving for the first time ever. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. I live in California. (laughs) Don't even get me started here. I remember in the lead up to 2016, there was a lot of talk that the electoral map was such that it was impossible, nearly impossible for a Republican to win. And Trump barely did. Barely. What do I mean barely? Trump won Wisconsin by 22,000 votes. There were 3 million votes. He won by 22,000. That's 10 electoral college That's 0.7% of the vote. He won Michigan by 10,704 votes. Out of 4.5 million, that's 0.3% of the vote. That's 16 electoral college votes. And Trump won Pennsylvania by 44,000 out of 6 million. That's 0.72% of the vote. There's your 20 electoral college votes. So those three states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, that's 46 electoral college votes. Trump won those three states by 107,000 votes total. That's 0.09% of the total votes nationwide. 107,000 people effectively won the election for Donald Trump. Trump barely won in 2016. And the media, oh boy, did it catch them off guard. Oh, they lifted up Trump. They praised Trump. They they showed all of his press conferences, all of his rallies for hours and hours and hours because they didn't think he was going to win. They just thought it was a fun circus, a fun sideshow. And then he won. They're going to make sure that that never happens again. Big tech will make sure that he never wins again. They will do whatever it takes to make sure that a Republican never wins the White House again. They're not going to be caught off guard again. And I don't know if a normal candidate, even someone as, as great as Ron DeSantis, can win the presidency. I don't. I don't think a normal person can do it as a Republican. It would take someone like an Arnold Schwarzenegger like when he won in California governor or someone like a Donald Trump to excite the idiocracy that we have today. And that's like that. Do you, are you sensing my hopelessness? Like, well, who, And maybe you don't feel that hopeless. I'm like, ah, I love that. I, maybe, I just need a little time to mourn. I think is all like one of my friends. He's, he's like way more positive than me right now. <laughs> it's like, listen, that's great. I'm happy for you. I need a minute. So what's the problem here? What's, what's the root of this episode? Me complaining is the problem, Well, there's a lot of other problems. But I can't stop what the Bible says, grumbling about it. I, I'm just, I've been whining about it for a week. I haven't, I have not been moaning and wailing, right? Like, Like Democrats did when Trump won in 2016, right? You've seen videos of people literally screaming in agony in the streets. I'm not doing that. I don't see any conservatives doing that. But I've been grumbling and muttering under my breath about it all week. I've felt hopeless, which is bad. And then I got a bad attitude about it, which makes it worse. (laughs) And I don't want to feel like this anymore. And I have a solution to it. If you have a grumbling heart right now, like I do, I have a solution for you. I promise you. And we'll get to it. In a minute, but first, I need another minute to lament. (laughs) I need another. Just give me one more minute. What is wrong with this country? How can the people of Pennsylvania have voted for a guy with brain damage? I think it shows how uninformed people are. I'm putting it nicely. I bet if you take the average independent voter, your oh-so-righteous independent voter, and you ask them, why did you vote for John Fetterman? I bet they can't tell you anything about him. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, did you see the debate? No, no. You know he can't understand the words you say to him, right? Oh no, I didn't. I didn't know that. What do you mean? Did you know he had a stroke? Yeah, I heard something about that, but you know, I I don't want to be mean to to a sick person. He's recovering. He'll get better. (laughs) He said he's fine. Right. It's like it's stuff like that. Like no critical thinking. You've seen the videos where they they go on the sidewalk and they ask adults, how many states are there? Who did we fight the Revolutionary War against? Who's the first president? Who's the current president? People have no clue. No clue. And I've done those. I've, I've conducted those man on the street interviews before. You don't have to ask 100 people in order to get the three dummies. To make the video it's usually three or four people and you're good to go i think most voters pick who they're voting for in our idiocracy with about as much thought as people fill out their nc2a basketball brackets based on mascots and if they like the team colors or the sound of the word <laughs> right like uh, oklahoma versus missouri um uh, i like oklahoma more that's fun oklahoma i like oklahoma uh Baylor. That's fun colors. Nice. Ooh, Gonzaga. Yeah, I'm going to go with Gonzaga. I think that's it. It's like, oh yeah, Fetterman. Hmm, Fetterman. That sounds good. I like Fetter. Sure, why not? Let's go for Fetterman. We live in a really stupid time. And I mean that in every way. I mean it quite literally. How many Americans do you think cannot read this is the level we're at right now. We're talking about literacy. How many Americans are illiterate? What do you think? Half a million? 500,000? Five, Gosh, that'd be a lie. can't be a million. A million adults can't read? No, no, no. Half a million. Half a million. What if I told you 130 million Americans can't read at a basic level. What does basic level mean? Uh, Couldn't read an instruction manual to a television set or couldn't read the prescription pill bottle. Just reading that's essential for the basic tasks of life. 130 million Americans, that might be worse than ever. We may have more, a greater percentage of illiterate Americans than ever. How can that be? By the way, that number comes from Dr. Ingrid Haynes. She's the director of the National Literacy Institute. So you're thinking, well, maybe she she has an incentive to overstate the problem. Maybe that's true. But let's go with it just for a minute. There's 210 million adults. So about 60% of American adults can't read. Okay? 60%... Illiteracy in America today. Now, how does that compare historically? It's very difficult to gauge literacy in America from hundreds of years ago. But the most authoritative source on this, it's the author of a a book called Literacy in Colonial New England. His name's Kenneth Lockridge. He concluded that among men in 1758 to 1762, 85% of the colonists were literate. So let's flip it around. 15% were illiterate. Today, 60% are illiterate. From 1787 to 1795, so we're just after the the Revolutionary War, right? 10% of Americans were illiterate. Today, 60% are illiterate. And he also concluded that in Boston in 1800, 99% of the city was literate. 99% they had 1% illiterate. And today in America, we're 60%. Wow. Have you ever heard any analysis about this election and the election results because people can't read? Like, oh, these were the results because 60% of our country is illiterate. It's true. It was known and celebrated that in this new country of America, we had higher literacy rates than Europe. In 1800, was a magazine called the Columbia Phoenix. They said no country on the face of the earth can boast of a larger population of inhabitants versed in the rudiments of science or fewer who are not able to read and write their names than the United States of America. That was in the year 1800 education was of the highest value of our colonists. Thomas Jefferson, when he was governor of Virginia passed a bill for the more general diffusion of knowledge. And the beginning was those entrusted with power have in time and by slow operations, perverted it into tyranny. And it is believed that the most effectual means of preventing this would be to illuminate the minds of the people of large. So you give people power over time, they turn it into tyranny. The way to prevent that, the best way to prevent that is to educate people, to have educated people. And I'm arguing that the, Most effectual means, in the words of Thomas Jefferson, the best means of preventing tyranny doesn't exist anymore. Literacy. Therefore, the people we've entrusted with power have perverted it into tyranny. Just like Thomas Jefferson said. My argument is that Thomas Jefferson was right. So I am lamenting right now that we live in an idiocracy. And I don't know how to come back from that. I don't know how we get back from that. Okay, that's my that's my lament. Are you in the doldrums with me? <laughs> well, let's just end there. Good night, everybody. No, 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 we can't do that. Okay, let's pick let's pick ourselves up here. Come on! I've never clapped to get out of a lament. That's how that's how deep my lament is. I need to literally clap my way out of it. All right, let's talk about the, uh, the Bible a bit. So the Bible says to stop grumbling. And it's pretty clear about it. James 5, 7 says, do not grumble against one another. And you're like, well, maybe that's not clear enough. Well, Philippians 2, 14, do everything without grumbling. What happens when you grumble? Well, when you grumble, you're not listening to God. Psalm one hundred six twenty five says, they murmured in their tents. That's often the same word, grumble and murmur. They murmured, they grumbled, they complained in their tents, and they did not obey the voice of the Lord. Too busy grumbling. The clearest story of this, and I like to, on this podcast, come up with maybe stories you haven't heard before, stories in the Bible that, that people don't talk about all the time. But there's just no better story than this. And... To prove this point, and I think about this all the time. I think about this story maybe every day. So, the Jews were slaves in Egypt. How bad was it? How bad was the slavery of the Jews in Egypt? Exodus 1 says, There were so many Jews in Egypt, the Pharaoh became scared of them. Exodus 1.9, The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Pharaoh enslaved them all in forced labor. And the more that the Jews were oppressed, the more they multiplied. So plan B. The Bible says, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly the bible says ruthlessly twice for emphasis and the word harsh here used twice harsh labor harsh labor twice in hebrew it has a connotation of not only difficult but cruel so cruel labor so the pharaoh then decided to kill all the jewish babies so you're wondering how oppressive it was for the jews in in egypt that oppressive Let's throw all the newborn boy, male babies into the river and drown them. It says every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. The Jews had misery and suffering and a broken spirit. That's what the scripture says. So God told Moses, so it's pretty bad there. You with me? Pretty bad. So God told Moses to tell the Israelites that I, God, will bring you out of slavery. And I'll bring you into the promised land. And I love this Exodus 6, 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel saying, Hey, God's going to rescue you. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and cruel slavery. So God proved it to them. He rescued the Israelites through a bunch of miracles, miraculous sights, things that if you saw, you you would say, I'll never not trust God. And then he freed you from slavery. And I'll, I, God, you freed me from slavery. I'll be grateful to you forever. They weren't. Literally the sentence right after Moses parts the Red Sea. And the Jews walk on the dry land of this massive body of water. It's 190 miles the width of the Red Sea. Towers of water on each side so the Israelites could walk across the dry land. And then the Egyptians followed them. And God crashed the waters down on top of them and killed them all, killed all the Egyptians. You'd think the Israelites would see that and Like, what happened? Unbelievable. I'll never worry about anything ever again. Clearly, God is protecting us. Look at what he just did. I'll never forget that. The next sentence in the Bible says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, where that just happened. They went into the desert of Shur for three days. They traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter So the people grumbled against Moses. What are we to drink? Three days later. (laughs) Three days. And here's the best part. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted but you've brought us out into this desert to starve. Hmm. (laughs) They forgot the cruelty of the lives they lived. They forgot the miracles of God rescuing them. And here they are whining and complaining and wishing that they never left at all. Unbelievable. And God said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. So he gave them more food and water. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And Moses cried to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And it goes on and on. The Israelites being taken care of by God, taken care of. In miraculous ways. And they just keep grumbling. It never stops. Just like me. Numbers 14, 27. How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? Forever. Forever. We are always grumbling, always complaining. About politics and about life. Let me tell you where I've been all week. So my son is in the NICU. Jack is six, Grace is four, John is two, and baby James is a week old. So the very short of the story, last Friday, my wife gave birth and James couldn't breathe. Came out and couldn't breathe. So they rushed him off to the children's hospital. His lungs were full of fluid. When a baby's in the womb, its lungs are full of fluid. Baby doesn't need them. But the fluid is supposed to be pushed out, or come out somehow, come out of the lungs. And it never came out of baby James, so he couldn't breathe, couldn't use his lungs. So they rushed him off to the children's hospital, and we got there. And the nurse told us, we'll never forget, she came running out of the doors, doors flung open. She came running out of them and said, uh, he has complete pulmonary failure. They had to paralyze him, intubate him, and they're giving him 100% oxygen. So that was the worst moment of my life totally helpless we thought our baby was gonna die right there and 50 years ago he would have so it's like 2 a.m or something and they're they're like go somewhere rest we're doing this the other and we found this like my wife and i we found this lactation room in a waiting room somewhere and slept on the floor my wife just gave birth a couple hours ago and she's sleeping on a concrete floor. And we just had our phone on loud so that when they called us, they would wake us up with any news. We we're just so out of it. So I don't remember much of the first two days because it was so touch and go. But he's doing so much better. And we'll be out of the NICU in a couple of days. Praise God. Maybe another week. I don't know. But there's end in sight, and there's no sign of any permanent damage, and it's amazing. And prayers have been answered, and it's fantastic. But still, I complain. I'm complaining. I had the equivalent of the 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 worst moment of my life, like the the depth, the pits of the worst. Pray praying to God. And God provided this miracle. He parted the Red Sea. And I walked through it. And the, the, the sea came crashing down on my enemy. And I'm complaining that the hospital's forty five minutes away, and this is just taking too long, you know I mean can we can you just come just why is this taking weeks to get better? I'm compl- I, you know what? I caught myself complaining about the food at the hospital. You know when you when I, whenever we ordered food at the hospital, it would take over an hour to have it delivered to the room. And I could go get it, but the cafeteria is way on the other side of the hospital. Are you kidding me, Slater? Are you kidding me? The people here in this building just saved your son's life. Your son should be dead right now. And you're complaining about living 45 minutes away so that you can drive to go see him as he improves every single day? That's what you're complaining about. And there's people in the hospital in the same building You pass them in the hallway, who have permanent disabilities, major heart surgeries, kids with cancer. And I'm sitting here waiting for room service, saying, ugh, why is this taking so long? And then I ordered a little uh, bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios, You know, are such like little tiny, dinky little bowls, like three spoonfuls, and the milk. By the time the milk got, the milk was like warm. Ugh. my shame a miracle happened to my son like the red sea parting and only three days later less than that here i am complaining as if a miracle didn't just happen as if i didn't just watch a miracle in the story that could be written of my life the very next sentence would be me complaining just like just like an exodus Like, the story of my life. And then God saved Mike's son, James. And then Mike complained that the food took too long to deliver to the room and the milk was no longer cold for his Honey Nut Cheerios as he did not realize that the Children's Hospital is not a restaurant. And also the sweet potato fries were a little soggy and they forgot the salt. That's how the sentence of my life would be written. Unspeakable heartache and pain, followed by a miracle, followed by grumbling. First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Jesus Christ for you. Whew, how about that? Give thanks in all circumstances. And the truth of my NICU experience, we just got a taste of it. Just a taste. My son's going to make it. Many don't. And, and and you want me to give thanks in all circumstances? I'm grumbling and things are going great. Mm. We've learned a lot of empathy this last week. We had two of our friends had two different couples had a baby in the nicu in the last couple of weeks and our empathy for 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 them in the nicu was like a four maybe a six we we were four amount sad for them and that was it and now our empathy is a 10 someone says we're in the nicu i know how you feel and that empathy is a gift and i hope that i i my wife can have the same empathy for the things that we've never experienced, but people are telling us they're going through. I just, I just want to be aware, aware of where I'm lacking empathy, but they're sure open our eyes for it. I love this Bible. I, for, I love how the Bible, it surprises me all the time because everything's in it and I know everything's in it, but then I find something in it and you're like, oh, I didn't know that was in it. Second Corinthians one, three praise be to the God who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So you've been comforted. Great. Go share that comfort with someone else. You've been through the ringer. Great. Go talk to someone who's going through it right now. Help them. The suffering you're going through can be used to give truth and love and true empathy and comfort to others. Okay. So anyway, that's where we've been all week. Thank you for your prayers. James is his name. So what's in my control? What's in my control? Let's get back to politics. It's true for all of life, but let's get back to politics. How do we get out of grumbling? How do we stop grumbling? What's the posture? What's the mindset? What's the worldview? The approach we need to have to not be grumblers. Again, the Bible says, do not grumble the solution the antidote to grumbling is to be a happy warrior a happy warrior i don't know what comes to mind when you think that i think most people think maybe ronald reagan he was described as a happy warrior but what is it exactly stephen mansfield he wrote about the movie chariots of fire and i just have to read this cuz it's perfect he says the movie opens with a scene of athletes running in scotland it's cold they're exhausted They've gotten all wet and sandy because their coach is making them run along a dank, cloudy, Scottish beach. The camera slowly shows each runner in the pack. These runners are from different backgrounds, and they're running for different reasons, as we learn from the movie that soon unfolds. Some are driven. Some are trying to overcome their past. Yet some are what I call happy warriors. They are just as miserable, wet, and exhausted as all the other runners, but they have smiles on their faces. They are happy in the hardship. The pain of their training just gives them joy. They don't expect it all to be easy. They just want to have meaning. And it does. So they run, smiling like fools, happy in the agony, running for the glory of God and what they hold dear. Happy warriors are those who understand that life will not be easy, yet they find joy in the battle, in the struggle. In the challenges before them. Let me pause here. Are you thinking about politics or are you thinking about life right now? Exactly. They accept that difficult things are the price of victory, so they dive in. In fact, it could be that life is sweetest when contending with comrades at your side. So live in the moment. Throw yourself into the struggle. Find joy in it. Joy? Joy at heartbreaking election losses and like 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 hopeless election losses find joy in your kid in the nicu find joy in pain and and death and misery and difficulty and suffering find joy throw yourself into the struggle find joy in it and feel the wonder of conquering having given your all conquering yourself conquering a problem conquering towards a noble vision life is hard pain comes battles are required Struggle's always with us. The happy warrior knows God is near. The hardship is refining. Victory is possible for the deserving. And all of it prepares us for greater battles another day. Raise a glass to battles yet to come. I want you to be a happy warrior. I want those who look to you for leadership to drink from your contagious joy and devotion. I want them to see the smile on your face when challenges come. Declare war on anything in yourself that makes you less than a happy warrior. Mm. How good is that? Stephen Mansfield. You can just Google Stephen Mansfield, Happy Warrior, Chariots of Fire, and it should pop up for you. Pretty good. This term, though, comes from a poem by William Wordsworth. Wrote it in eighteen oh six. It's a brilliant poem. We should do a podcast episode just breaking down every line of it because it's so good, but just a couple highlights here. Who is the happy warrior? Who is he that every man in arms should wish to be? Who doomed to go in company with pain and fear and bloodshed, miserable train, turns his necessity to glorious gain, Has tempted more, more able to endure, and therefore does not stoop nor lie in wait for wealth or honors or for worldly state whom they must follow, on whose head must fall, like showers of manna if they come at all. I love that he doesn't do it for the the wealth, the money, the praise. He just does it because it's the right thing to do. He who, though thus endued as with a sense and faculty for storm and turbulence, is yet a soul whose master bias leans to home-felt pleasures and to gentle scenes. He's willing to fight, but he really just wants to be home. The reluctant warrior, too. While the mortal mist is gathering, draws his breath in confidence of heaven's applause. This is the happy warrior. This is he that every man in arms should wish to be. I skipped over a bunch. You should read the whole poem. It's fantastic. You should read it and read it deeply. Take time to analyze every word and sentence and impress it upon your heart. Ronald Reagan said, we've made such progress already. So let us go forth with good cheer and stout hearts. Happy warriors out to seize back a country. And a world to freedom. It's the only way, isn't it? I don't know. I got to. I got I to decide. Do I want to be grumbling and mumbling, <laughs> murmuring, complaining? Is that me? Is that who I want to be? Is that who I want to be in the political world? Is that who I want to be in the hospital? I'm. I'm in the NICU with all the other NICU babies and parents and and. Uh, Uh, Doctor's and nurses. I want to be the grumbling, complaining guy. Or am I the happy warrior? All right, final thought to meditate on. There's a third way. This is a little preview of what's to come in our next episode when we talk about Trump. Always look for the third way. It's true with almost anything. Always look for the third way. You're usually presented two options, and neither of them are fully true. And when it comes to Donald Trump... For president, you're going to be given a choice. Pick a team. You get two to choose from. You either love Trump and you support him for president in 2024. It's option one. Option two, you hate Trump and you want DeSantis in 2024. That's it. You either love Trump and you support him, or you hate Trump and you're you're you've betrayed him and you're disloyal to him. I propose a third way. And I'm not saying I am this way. I just want. An option for people to take this. The option is, I really like Trump. I love Trump. I'm grateful for Trump. Well done, Donald Trump. You will go down as one of the greatest presidents in history, and we are grateful for you. And I think it's time to look at DeSantis moving forward. It's that third option. The third option of maybe you want DeSantis or someone else. But it doesn't mean you hate Trump. It doesn't mean you're disloyal to Trump. There's a third way. We'll talk more about that in the next episode. But it's the same with gratitude. This is my point. There's a third way. I feel like you're you're uh, you're like tricked into one of two teams. Either you grumble because life is hard. That's option number one. Life is hard, so you grumble. You grumble because life is hard. Option two. You're just happy-go-lucky and rose-colored glasses, and everything's great. And everything's amazing, and I love Kim Kardashian and. I think people are genuinely really good and nice all the time. And so am I, and you ignore the difficulties of life. But there's a third way. The third way is the person who understands the difficulties of life, who understands that life is hard and feels that deeply, has lived that profoundly, who knows the reality of pain, whether it's the death of a child or death of a spouse who knows tragedy and pain and suffering and cruelty and betrayal, who knows the worst things in life and still never grumbles. That's the happy warrior. And that's the third way. I don't want to be a grumbler because life is hard. And I don't want to ignore the difficulties of life to be happy. I want to understand the difficulties of life. And because of that, be a happy warrior. And the only way to do that is Romans 12 two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may testing by testing difficulty, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I hope that made sense. I hope that was something. And if it wasn't, I'm very tired and I am <laughs> I'm going to bed because we're heading off to the NICU bright and early tomorrow. Uh, Slater radio at gmail.com, if you want to send me any uh, email with any constructive criticism whatsoever, this podcast is, is thriving right now and please it's completely because of you. five star reviews and, and subscribing. write a little five star review note. All that gets in the algorithm. And it grows in okay. there. So super grateful for you. Thank you for spreading the word. Next time you hear from me, I will be much more of a happy <laughs> happy warrior for you. Politics by faith. Mike Slater.